Hello, friend. You've got mail. One of the final podcast episodes of our review of the phenomenal series, Mr. Robot. I'm Margaret, and I'm here with Henry. We're here to talk about the series finale, parts one and part two, with you and, and to recap our impressions. Hey, Henry, how's it going? Good. I'm excited uh, for these penultimate podcast episodes uh, to talk about the finale of Mr. Robot. Just so that some of the listeners have a heads up, we're going to structure our podcast like the last two episodes were structured uh, on TV, where we record them as kind of one podcast of sorts, but we cut them up into two separate ones. Um, Do you want to say a little bit more about that, Margaret? I just because we wanted to be able to talk about both episodes sort of in a continuous way, the way that they were premiered. Of course, as always, we would love to hear your feedback. The email is hellofriendpod at protonmail.com. And other than that, I guess we'll just get right into it. Are you ready, Henry? Been ready, Margaret. It's exciting to talk about where this uh, story is taking us. Yeah, lots of twists and turns, even for these final two episodes of the entire series. So when we begin with the series finale part one, we open to a completely red screen, which I love the use of red, you know, usually in film language, or you see fade to white sometimes, fade to black very often, but seldom do you fade to red or open to fade into red. And we open where Elliot is lying on the ground and it's right after he had the confrontation with White Rose and it seems like the nuclear reactor blows up and all is lost and Elliot is back. He's back talking to us, the audience, and he says, hello, friend, I was so focused on the hack, I thought you were gone. You know, am I dead? If we're dead, then how am I talking to you? And then at some point, Elliot realizes he's not dead. And then we get more of those beautiful overhead shots that really are a signature of the series. And at some point, Elliot says, well, I'm not dead, I'm alive, which means you are too. But he's in a whole brand new Washington Township Community Center. Did you have any clue what was going on at this point where we were going to be taken through the rest of the story? Well, it served to kind of uh, confirm a hypothesis that I had from her earlier episode about whether we're seeing the Elliot uh, that we've been following for most of the series or whether the prior episodes Elliot in this reality uh, where everything seems really great but there's no Darlene whether that was a different Elliot or not so you know right when it opens and he's in the parking lot and kind of talking to us as the audience to me it was like oh okay that Elliot from the prior episode was uh, is somehow a different Elliot and in my head it was okay, this is a story about how the other Elliot ends up in that room, uh, which we closed in in the prior episode. Yeah, good point, good point. And, you know, it's funny when this scene is sort of over and they kick into that Mr. Roboto song. I have a little anecdote to tell you. I was at work the other day waiting for a Zoom call, and the person who I was supposed to meet said, oh, I'm going to be joining late. So I was like, oh, well, I might as well take this time to listen to that Mr. Roboto song and just listen to how the lyrics are so similar to what the story of Mr. Robot's about. I'm blasting it on my laptop, and isn't that guy in the meeting like, 
mic the whole time while I'm listening to the Mr. Roboto song. It was a real dorky moment. But yeah, we start to see that the two Elliots are maybe not the same they're on, on, on any level, or maybe they're the same, or how are they the same? And we see Elliot walking through an idyllic version of Washington Township. And in fact, everything looks so bucolic. And uh, we see that there's a Mr. Robot shop right on the main street. And when he goes inside, Elliot goes inside to observe more. It looks like the, a mom and pop version of the Apple store. Mr. Robot's store has sure come a long way from when he was just doing basic computer repairs. Did you find that confusing? Were you hopeful that maybe Mr. Robot or Elliot's dad was really alive? I guess in spite of, you know, the better version of Elliot's dad, I guess, in this world? This world to me had a lot of uh, echoes that sort of affected how I, I saw it. And what I mean by echo are like things that I've seen before that have similarities. So like Back to the Future, when Marty McFly goes into a reality or a future where things had happened different, he gets to kind of see the world in this kind of what if alternate uh, scenario, right? And then there's like, you know, even the Christmas Carol, something that is often uh, something, a story that we're exposed to during the holidays is like the ghost of Christmas future and the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present, like this ability to kind of see the world through this alternative reality lens of what it would be like if things had gone a little bit differently. So this world that Elliot finds himself interacting with now that we had been exposed to in the prior episode through the other Elliot felt very much to me like one of these sorts of experiences where you kind of see this alternate reality through a character's eyes where he sees that things could be different. Yeah, and what I found was really ironic about that whole premise, especially where, you know, we see that Elliot leaves Mr. Robot's store before uh, Edward Alderson has a chance to see what who, who the customer is who happens to be waiting. Elliot gets some sense that things are weird because he sees that, um, you know, not only is his dad, he hears his dad in the other room, but he looks on the phone and sees him standing with his mother and father. But what I love is when Elliot is walking around his neighborhood and or the idyllic version of his neighborhood and outside his childhood home and he sees Edward coming home. Elliot looks the, like the one who's out of place, the way he's skulking about in his hoodie. He looks pretty creepy, don't you think? Yeah, he looks very much out of place. And, you know, the prior episodes where Darlene and Dom were talking about the normies and, uh, you know, uh, life with the normies, like this alternate reality is very much a world full of normies where Elliot himself is a normie. Yeah, good point. Also known as my Christmas vacation. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> like everyone's Christmas vacation to some extent. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, and I don't know if there's any significance when Elliot runs into the girl from his neighborhood who recognizes Elliot. She comments that his nose is bleeding, and I don't know if there's any significance to that fact that his nose was bleeding. Uh, and then Bizarro Elliot, or the alternate Elliot, he was getting migraines. Did you think there was any significance to that? I, to me, it was just kind of part of the, the trope of, you know, being in an alternate reality or somehow a, a psychic powers being used and people get headaches or their nosebleeds. Like, it seems like there are so many TV shows where ever someone kind of uses a mental ability, they get a headache or if they're in some sort of alternate reality and things are, you know, somehow wrong, like 
they get nosebleeds or something. It just kind of seems like this universal indicator of wrongness that people use for things that aren't easily represented on screen. And I, it made me wonder if there was deeper meaning here or if it was just sort of a trope that uh, the writers were playing with to kind of jack up the tension. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, maybe it was just in reference to the fact that Elliot was in this accident recently at this nuclear power plant or what have you, although the nuclear power plant itself, it was missing. It wasn't there when Elliot looked around earlier in this episode. There was a, a community center that was about to be built. So this world really has wiped out a lot of the evil that our Elliot has perceived throughout. And this is when he's talking to the little girl, he also learns that there's no Darlene. So she is missing from the picture. And we learn why later on, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Yeah, so one thing that, you know, from going back and watching the first Mr. Robot episode and watching these later ones is it reminds you of certain things and the fact that Elliot originally didn't know who Darlene was and thought that she was just this, you know, random person involved with F Society. So it seems like there's always this very strong link between Elliot's knowledge of Darlene and acceptance of her and his reality. The brother and sister bond was so strong throughout the whole series started off a little shaky when we first encountered them, and then we found out why. And it's amazing to me how much Carly Chaikin brought it, like, so strong. Her performance is just so incredibly strong. We learned that there is no Darlene, and that's where Elliot learns it, too. And nothing's the same in this idyllic version of Washington Township, except for our Elliot. He's the same to us. But then he goes inside the parental home, and... His mother is being weirdly nice to him, and the house is kind of the same, but it's a little bit different, and his bedroom isn't even in the same place. Where his bedroom used to be is a closet, and his mom seems very worried about this Elliot because she doesn't know that it's not the Elliot she knows, at least in this constructed world. All these changes that seem to indicate that you know this is very much a different world, and a lot of the knowledge that you know, the hoodie Elliot has is not very useful in this alternate reality where Elliot is a very different person. This is where we all learn together that uh, he's marrying Angela, that Elliot is marrying Angela, and that's where he gets the first inkling that she might be alive in this world. Of course, in the first season, these some of these scenes were little previews of these things happening in the first season, but then as soon as he finds out Angela is potentially alive, he, he runs back to the city. He takes a bus back to New York, and he goes immediately to Angela's apartment, and he knocks on the door. And who's there but, well, Philip Price answers the door, but this is Philip Price as the dorky dad he never was. <laughs> the dorky alcoholic father-in-law, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out that he and his Angela's mother, Emily, uh, got together. The oddest looking couple in the world, I thought. Um, what were the chances? And there's this whole uncomfortable scene of Elliot sort of just ready to jump out of his skin, interacting with Angela's dead mother and Philip Price, who's also dead at this point, and a completely different personality. Oh, I have to tell you, I found the scene pretty painful to watch just because of the mounting tension. Really awkward, awkward scene. But I also felt like there wasn't a lot of like substance to the scene in a sense. Like I felt like it was one of these scenes that 
were were there to show us how different this world was and to and to sort of move the story forward but i didn't really feel like anything of import was gonna come from that scene do you know what i mean I do know what you mean, and I think that was part of the source of the tension for me because the whole episode, or the whole, these whole two episodes, were predicated upon Elliot's drive to see Angela. And even at some point, Elliot says, If I see Angela, will this world make more sense or less? And I think the answer was less. It made less sense. And I felt the discomfort because it felt like. Who wants your stupid drink, Philip? Who cares about your dumb joking? And why isn't Angela here? Like, why is every time, you know, they asked him to go to lunch with with them to meet Angela? So all these like missed opportunities, and it felt it felt like it was getting in the way of the story progressing in a certain way. Yeah, and it also made me sort of think about what it said about what was important to Elliot. You know, because in this environment, like he could be out looking for White Rose, he could be looking for the Dark Army, he could try to figure out what this all meant for the people he was trying to take down or fight. But instead, he seems very focused on Angela, and she becomes the most important thing, and he realizes he wants to spend his life with her. So, in some ways, it serves to sort of clarify what's important to Elliot and what his true motivations are or should be. I did love the one scene where, or the one interchange between Angela's mother and Elliot, where Angela's mother confides, well, you know, my daughter never really had the best taste in men. And then our Elliot is like, yeah, tell me about it, I know. <laughs> and she, she gave her future son-in-law this, like, enormous eye roll. But what finally broke up this scene is, I guess he ends up spilling the drink because there was, again, this earthquake or these earthquake effects, and I think that's sort of similar to the nosebleed effect that we were just talking about, like where something's just not right in this world. This, this isn't real. Do you think the earthquake is, is real Elliot, sort of his consciousness waking up and shaking up the reality of this constructed world? Yeah, I think it's kind of like the reality sort of falling apart or under, under stress. I realize to what extent my view of this episode and these scenes are influenced by like Star Trek episodes involving the hollow deck and other sorts of similar setups where it's like, oh, you're in someone's mind or psyche and like their psyche is rejecting it and like the world starts trembling or shaking. Like it seems like it's very much uh, part of the common vocabulary or language around these sort of setups. Yeah, I think so, too. And it definitely is pretty effective, especially for those of us who have spent any amount of time in California with the whole like constant presence of a potential earthquake happening. Just the fact that it's so intense and it shakes everything up, it's, it's kind of like this ominous thing that's kind of always there. I mean, if you live in California, I don't really think about it that much, but that's what it reminded me of a little bit. But then we see Ar- Elliot entering his apartment so that's the next place he goes to and I love how he enters the apartment and he's like uh you know his key works in the door which is odd because why would his key work when everything else is so different but it kind of makes sense too and then he goes into the apartment he's like oh this guy's definitely not me (laughs) this is definitely not me this place is way too put together 
I love how he, the computer becomes sort of the ultimate test of like, how much is this person like me? Like, let me go root around in his setup. And, and, and it makes me realize like that is a very important part of a person's like life and how they think these days is their computer. Like it's no accident that governments always try to get someone's cell phone uh, to get information about them because it reveals so much. Yeah, I just saw a news story that's talked about how universities are increasingly using students' cell phones to track their movements and, you know, just like everyone else. But it's true, like, so Elliot sees, like, the CD case where Elliot had previously kept all of his hacked files on these CDs that had different bands sort of written on them. But in our... Like, in this case, I keep calling this guy Bizarro Elliot, but he's sort of high-functioning, boring Elliot. <laughs> he has a photo album, and then he goes through the alternate Elliot's um, com- computer, and he sees, immediately goes to his social media and sees that he's sociable, he's well-liked, he looks like he's comfortable at parties. And it's sort of like our Elliot realizes that He's just, he's just such an outcast. Like, he's he's completely not any of these things. Yeah, it's it, kind of like the Lord of the Rings scene when Gollum kind of sees how, how good the hobbits have it and becomes consumed with envy and jealousy, right? It's like Elliot flipping through other Elliot's uh, things and realizing, oh, like, I, I, I have these, uh, this ability to be happy and normal and fulfilled. Like, well, what's that about? Yeah. And even, you know, I watched this episode with a family member and she couldn't get over how physically different our Elliot looked compared to this um, normal, quote unquote, normal Elliot. She she was even asking me at dinner tonight if uh, I thought they were using computer effects to make our Elliot look even scrawnier. And I said, no, it was probably makeup. And just the way our, the actor was, was you know, uh, interpreting the characters. But it was pretty remarkable. And then Elliot, our Elliot figures, oh my gosh, you know, when he was going through the alternate Elliot's computer, he discovers this encrypted uh, partition part of the drive. And he's like, I've got him. What's it going to be? It's going to be something awful. And then he discovers that in this encrypted root drive that there are sketches of Darlene and Mobley and of himself. And our alternate Elliot's a pretty good artist. (laughs) Yeah, he is. And this was probably my peak unease moment where I was just looking at this, trying to figure out like, what the hell is going on? Like, what, what does this mean? Uh, I think that kind of reached its peak around this moment for me. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. I mean, I, I know that's a weird way to describe it. Maybe it's like what you're saying, like this peak unease moment where it was just like, oh, something's going to happen. Something's got to happen. Because I felt like this whole episode was Elliot chasing after Angela and, and in our hearts knowing he was probably never going to really see her potentially, although he did later on. But then the, the other Elliot comes home and they confront each other. And it's, it's a pretty remarkable scene because our Elliot looks kind of terrifying, scary, menacing. I don't think we've ever really seen him necessarily that way. He was, he's 
always been sort of our anti-hero. And then alternative Elliot, or bizarro Elliot, is afraid of his, his um, doppelganger. And, and then at some point, our Elliot convinces his, his doppelganger, we need to talk. And we need to confront, you know, we need to talk about what's going on here. And um, it was just pretty, pretty interesting interaction, I felt like. Yeah, I, I, I thought so too. And you, and there's like this weird uncanny valley thing going on where I think there are certain sort of things that kind of make people fundamentally uneasy. You know, people talk about like, you know, like when people have a, spe- a fear of spiders and like the bulbous eyes, like something like it's triggered by these like deep seated native fears that human beings have. And something about watching two people supposedly identical interact is there's something kind of unsettling about that. I think maybe it's one of the reasons why twins are so intriguing for people is this it touches on sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought it was really cool how our the alternative Elliot, uh, he overheard or he could hear Elliot talking to us, the audience. So we were really brought in front and center through the series finale, this one in part two. And our Elliot was totally freaked out. And he was also freaked out by the sketches. And he said to alternative Elliot, normal Elliot, what's up with those sketches? And then we hear this whole story about how this this other Elliot was... Um, you know, constructed this fantasy world because he felt like his world was so boring and he created this whole persona of a hacker and at some point our Elliot, it starts to dawn on him that he isn't normal, he never will be and that he doesn't belong. Wherever it is he, he's landed, he doesn't belong there. Yeah, and he starts to maybe get a sense of unease about where he fits into all of this and uh, what it means, right? Because the Elliot that is uh, the hacker Elliot, you know, Hoodie Elliot, I'll call him. Hoodie Elliot is very analytical. He's really good at thinking things through. So when he starts to gather this information and sees, you know, these pictures and things like this, like he's got to start being able to see ahead to this idea that maybe he's the construction and this other Elliot is actually the real one. Do you think this is where he starts to get glimpses of that reality? Uh, yeah, I think I think you know the the realization is starting to make itself known to him here. Like there's been a lot of hints over this final season presented through you know various characters' monologues with Elliot or his past surfacing through Krista or Krista's notes, talking about how Elliot has this ability to. You know, shape the world around him to fit his vision of reality. Uh, little hints about you know the issues that Elliot has, and kind of all leading us to this moment where we start to see that there's something much deeper going on uh, with you know the Elliot that we know and the world that he inhabits. Yeah, and you know, as as the confrontation between the two of them heightens, there's another earthquake that happens. And then around the same time, that's when Angela calls to speak to her fiancé. So while non-hoodied alternative Elliot was on the floor kind of bleeding out, 
And at this point, R. Elliot already thinks he's dead, um, or he suspects he's dead. R. Elliot has this conversation with Angela that also made me really uneasy because you just don't believe it's real. I didn't believe it was real at any time. And, you know, I wasn't really 100% convinced anyway that Angela and Elliot were destined to be together. I mean, I know that's strongly implied, and it was strongly implied prior to when she died. Angela's sort of, you know, Elliot, do you love me? And, you know, because I love you, and are you ready to take this journey with me? And by the end of the call, or somewhere in the call, Elliot, our Elliot is all in. He's all in. He's decided he's going to just stay in this place. He's going to marry Angela. He's going to assume the life that he never had. And why not? He looks just like the other Elliot. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And I thought having the other Elliot kind of exit by bumping his head during an earthquake, I thought that 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 made me upset. Like, I felt like that was a very convenient way to happen because to me, the really horrifying part of this episode is when Elliot, like, discovers, oh, actually, he's not dead and I need to kill him. Like, I thought that was, like, the most, uh, like, horrifying thing. And I think it was somehow made easier by the fact that we as an audience like thought he was dead, you know, and then it was like, oh, actually, he's not dead. He's alive. But we already kind of thought he was dead. So making him dead at that moment just kind of seems like, you know, it doesn't seem as shocking. Whereas if Elliot had just kind of (laughs) snuck up behind Elliot Prime um, and just, you know, slit his throat. That would have been pretty horrifying. Yeah, I know what you mean about how it sort of eased the impact impact on some level of what R. Elliot was doing to Elliot Prime, Hoodie Elliot. But it was still brutal because, you know, I don't ever associate R. Elliot with being a cold-blooded killer. Like, if anything, he seemed like he wanted to... I mean, if violence happened, so be it. He could handle it. But he wasn't really out for blood. And to see Elliot, our Elliot, kill his, his doppelganger, Elliot Prime, it was, it was a little, um, it went down a little bit easier because we already thought the guy was dead anyway. But it was also an intensely intimate way to kill somebody. I mean, to suffocate or strangle them when they're already bleeding out is a, is a real... Uh, hands-on way of killing somebody versus, you know, throwing them out a window or shooting them from afar or any other way you could kill somebody. So pretty disturbing, huh? Yeah, pretty disturbing. Um, And, you know, from a psychotherapy or psychoanalytical point of view, very rich (laughs) for further analysis. Um, But yeah, it was it was a pretty kind of electric moment uh, for a television just kind of watching all this happen, even if I didn't necessarily think that it was done in the best of ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then that's the end of series finale part one. Uh, Anything else we should talk about before we head on to the second part of the series finale? Well, I just want to take a moment to kind of appreciate where we are kind of collectively at at the end of this first half of the finale, right? Like, you know, thinking about the journey that we've been on, we've been on, 
you know, Elliot, the the five nine hack, uh, you know, the the stuff going on with White Rose and the machine, and you know, thinking that that was done, and then finding ourselves here with Elliot in this other reality where he's just killed the other Elliot. What is going on? Like, is there time travel, alternate reality, dimensional travel? Like, what? what is happening here and what is going to happen in the next hour to sort of make this, have this all make sense, right? Like, I, I just want to take a moment to appreciate all the sort of unanswered questions and all the things that we've been through as an audience, you know, to get to this point where it's the last hour of Mr. Robot left before us. Amazing how many callbacks to moments and glimpses we had in previous seasons that were referenced in uh, this part one of the series finale and how there were probably a million other things that were packed in there that I know I missed at least. And I was also grateful that we finally got to hear the Mr. Roboto song. <laughs> it was like long time coming, but the payoff was worth it four years later. We built up this whole world of characters and I mean, even people who are long gone, like Trenton and Mobley, for example, who were so real and such an important part of the of the series, and and Leon, like just how much we got to see Leon and and see him interact with with the world, and Janice, even. I mean, and then we ended up in this Twilight Zone kind of world, and we saw people like Philip Price reappear or the neighborhood girl showed up. At this point, I'm pretty much looking forward to the second part of the finale, but also dreading it. 